Tonight's show is brought to you by the Rails to Trails Conservancy, survivalfeeling.com, and you, our listeners. All right, do you guys know what you should do if you get lost? And this kid looks at me dead and he says, call Batman. What is up, all of you Wayward Souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast that is aimed at sharing the experience. We are here to tell all the stories. My story, your stories. If your dog has a story, send it in. Hell, if your cat has a story, send that in. That would be a pretty unique perspective. Cats aren't big on the great outdoors. Um, back in the backcountry, anyway. Maybe if you could get a hold of a bobcat. If you know how to get a hold of a bobcat, get with me. Get with me. I think that could be a great story. Um, glad to have you guys back with me tonight, back in the studio after two long weeks away from home. It's good to be home. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking about, well, tonight, we are going to redeem Indiana. I have picked on Indiana for like 23 or 24 episodes now. I hope you Indianans know that it was all in good nature. I spent a great deal of time in your state, and I just like picking at you a little bit. We got a lot of good friends up there still that I talk to very regularly. Um, Tonight is going to be your shining moment. We're going to talk about all of your hiking trails. And y'all, Indiana does have some amazing state parks, some amazing hiking trails, um, and a ton of history. They are a very, very old state. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Indiana that you can get yourself into. And we're going to talk about it tonight. Of all the ones that I went to, we're going to highlight the best ones. And we're going to talk about several other little things that you can do. Um, And really, really try to make amends for all the times that I've picked on the barren corn growing plains of Indiana. Um, there's really a lot going on there. So we're going to take care of that tonight. We are going to reconcile that situation tonight. But before we get to that, how have you guys been? How's your week been? Is it, I hope it's been like a pretty good summer for y'all. It's been a hot summer for me, you know, driving big step wagon for work that doesn't have an air conditioner. You're basically driving a rolling oven. Like, I mean, straight up. We, two weeks ago in St. Louis, We had a day that I feel pretty confident got really close to putting me in the hospital. Um, A lot of the uh, physical signs were there, and it was a good thing that they started to appear towards the end of the day, but it was a battle all day to try to stay hydrated. It was brutally hot. Heat index of like 112. You step into the box of the truck, and you have to look for a package for more than like 10 seconds. It's like someone turns the faucet on, and it's a flop sweat immediately. And you're just pouring and it's like, well, there goes all of the fluid in my body. And I've already drank a gallon of water today, half gallon of Gatorade. What else can I do? Um, And it was just a battle of wills. And I did not want to die that day. I hope you guys have been having a good summer. Hope everything's been going well this last week. um, I've been doing a little bit of a little bit of my civic duty Um, search and rescue team. We went down and are working the county fair kind of as security and just being there doing a lot of public relations, passing out really loud, annoying survival whistles to all the kids so their parents can get mad at us. That's always fun. Um, And, you know, just kind of doing our thing. And I want 
I want to tell you a couple of stories because one of them's funny and one of them's a little more serious. I always do the same thing. When it comes to search and rescue and you're out there doing a PR event, you're passing out candy, you're passing out little survival whistles, you know, you're trying to get the kids interested and you want to teach them something while they're there. And you can teach them some, you know, really important stuff in just like a couple of sentences. One of the main things we always want to tell kids and have kids have in mind, and you should tell your children this, what do you do if you get lost? The number one thing that you want children to do if they get lost is to stay put. Once they know that they're lost, set down, find a tree. It's called the hug a tree program, but set down somewhere that they're comfortable, find a tree and stay put and know that people are looking for them. And that's like it. That's the number one thing. And if you give them the survival whistle and they actually have it, they put it in their little fanny pack or their backpack or whatever, you know, teach them how to blow it every few minutes, whatever. But it's real simple stuff, super quick interactions. But I always ask the children when they come up, I ask them first things first. They come up and they're like, hey, we want some candy. And I'm like, okay, first thing though, you have to answer a question for me. Um, it does not matter if you know the answer or not, but we're going to start there. Do you know what you should do if you get lost? You get varying responses. From, I mean, sometimes the kids know, sometimes they're right, sometimes they've already been exposed to it. That's not super common. Um, a lot of times you get call, you know, 911 or do whatever, you know, you get typical kid answers. But I got an answer the other night that it's my favorite answer that I've ever received from a child. I had a group of two or three kids come up, their parents, you know, and the kid looks up at me. I'm like, all right, do you guys know? what you should do if you get lost. And this kid looks at me dead and he says, call Batman. And then I'm like, supposing you don't have a cell phone signal. And then he looks at me and says, you use the bat signal. And I'm like, do you have a bat signal? And he goes, I don't. And I was like, okay, well, here's what I want you to do in lieu of you getting a bat signal being able to call Batman and explain to him, you know, what you should do. But that is by far my favorite response that I've ever received. Because when I say he looked, he was stone cold. He meant what he said. And though that would be a great option to have, we typically don't have that option. So anyway, that was a lot of fun. Doing PR events for search and rescue is a lot of fun. I love meeting and talking to people. Um, and we have a good time doing that. And we have a good time recruiting people to the search and rescue team. We're always advocating to get involved and be a part of the community and be a part of the the answer to the problems in the world as opposed to being a part of the problems. And that segues nicely into my next short little story about event that occurred last night at the fair. Somebody came running up and said, hey, we've got a medical emergency over here. So we go down to check out what's going on. And it was a female who had gone down. She um, had vomited. She had not lost consciousness, consciousness, but felt like she was going to. And when we got there, she wasn't responsive to our questions. She was conscious, but she wasn't responsive to our questions. Um, and somebody came up with an ice pack. We got an ice pack on her neck. We had already called 911. We had someone at command call 911. We went down, started tending to her, trying to take care of her and see if we could assess what was going on. And that's all we did. Start assessments. You know, we're trained in basic first aid, basic medical kind of stuff. We do not have EMS or EMTs on scene at this, the county fair until rodeo night happens. And last night wasn't rodeo night. So we're the only ones there to deal with it. So we got 911 called. We go down and we're relaying, using the radios, figuring out what to do. And there was some 
and I point this out for a reason, but there was some hesitancy to keep EMS inbound because everyone was like, oh, she just got too hot. You know, she just got too hot. But we got there to assess her and realized she was pregnant. She was 31 weeks pregnant. Um, and she wasn't responding to my questions at first, even though she was conscious. Well, we got the ice pack on her neck and I told them, no, keep EMS coming because, you know, we're getting her checked out by the people that know what they're talking about. You know, when it comes to someone being pregnant, bar none, always, always err on the side of caution. Um, and I'm telling this whole story for a reason. So stay with me here. And so we tend to, we get an ice pack on her neck and it wakes her up quite a bit. And she becomes cognitive. She's able to answer her name and where she's at. She knew where she was. So that's a good sign. And then she was ready to stand up. And once we got her on her feet, you know, they were, you know, Hey, I don't think we need EMS. I'm feeling better, whatever. And I'm like, no, no, no. We, we need to see it through. They're already on their way. We need to let them check you out, check your blood pressure and all that kind of good stuff. Like there's a pre-existing condition here that is pregnancy there is a child there that's always no-brainer get it checked out so against not any real pushback but some amount of pushback to having ems come on out we take her down they come on out we get the key to the gate we get it all orchestrated get the gate open ems shows up they pull her into the van they're checking her out and, you know, we're talking and we relay what information we have to um, the other EMT, why the other one has her in the bus and filter back up to command post, get it all straightened out. And they're dealing with her. And then one of the other search team members who stayed down with the bus um, until they left, came back up and was like, hey, it's a good thing we called the bus because while they had her in the bus, her blood pressure tank, she did pass out. She vomited again and they're transporting her now to the hospital for, um, observation to get her checked out. So I tell this whole story because what did I say back in the search and rescue episodes? If you get involved with the search and rescue team, or it could be volunteer fire department and you get first responder training, basic medical training, something like this happens. Guess what? There was no one else there. And it's not calling one out because we live in a large county that only has two EMS units for the whole county, to my understanding. Um, but of course, there's local units in each of the cities. But we didn't. It took a minute. It took a minute for folks to get there. Let's just say it took a minute for folks to get there. And she would have had no um, support whatsoever during the time frame they would have been waiting for EMS. Right. But we were there. We had training. We were where we needed to be, and we were able to help her out, get things in line. And because we did the right thing and called for EMS and maintained that they stay in route, that we do need them to check her out, when her blood pressure tanked, she was already sitting in the bus. When she passed out, when she vomited, when she did lose consciousness, she was already in the bus. If they had not came, if we had said, yes, yeah, she's probably fine, y'all go on, no big deal, then we would have had to wait that same amount of time for EMS to show up and she would have been unconscious that whole time. So because we handled it properly, we were where we need to be and we had training in medical, it worked out good. It all worked out for her. And that's a win. That's something that we always want to see happen. And I'm using it right now as yet another recruiting tool to all of you out there that like to get out in the wilderness, guys, people go out under heat stress all the time and other different factors. If you get involved in your local search and rescue team, it has benefits for you and for everyone around you when you're out there on the trail or out there in the world or even at the county fair, right? So 
just wanted to relay that. Um, like I said, it was a win and a good example of why you should get more involved in your local search and rescue team. Um, from there, let's get on to tonight's show. Tonight, we're talking about Indiana. Like I said, why did I have Rails to Trails Conservancy as an ad partner at the beginning of the show? The reason I pointed out Rails to Trails is because Rails to Trails first came to my attention while I was in Indiana. I spent the better part of six months of my life in Kokomo or Indianapolis, Indiana. They're both very close together, right in the heart of the state. Um, Rails to Trails Conservancy is a very cool organization. If you don't know what a rail trail is, a rail trail is... This country was built by the railroad. There's no doubt about that. Historically, our expansion, this country, the United States of America, was built on the back of the Iron Horse. Rails to trails are abandoned rail corridors, right-of-ways is what they're called, that have been taken over by some special interest group and converted to trail use, and they're great trails because they're usually ADA accessible. They're usually great hiking and biking trails because of the nature of railroading. You're never going to get on an average grade more than a 2% up or down grade. There are extreme versions of that, and those are considered like engineering marvels. They're far more rare. So essentially what you have is a really, really flat hiking trail. A lot of them are paved. Many of them have crushed gravel. Like I said, a lot of them are ADA accessible, and they cover Tens of thousands of miles across the United States of America. Currently, Rails to Trails Conservancy is working on what they call the Great American Rail Trail, which is linking up many, many existing trails and trying to take control and build trails where they are non-existent. So there will be a hiking trail from the East Coast to the West Coast eventually. And they're a lot closer than you might think. Um, so if you get involved with Rails to Trails, like I am a card carrying member, you get a t-shirt which is pretty cool. I should have wore it tonight. Um, it's in the closet, but I have a t-shirt. And also you get like four of these every year, which is a, the Rails to Trails Conservancy um, magazine. These are great. They're pretty thick. They got a lot of good articles in them, but what they're really, really good for is they're great for figuring out places that you might want to go. They're great for identifying possible trips with great hikes. Like y'all, can you imagine hiking a trail over an old rail grade through tunnels and over trestles and everything else through the Appalachian mountains. Can you imagine doing that through the Rockies? Can you imagine doing that through the Pacific Northwest? These are the kinds of things you can get ideas to do, um, out of the rails to trails conservancy's, um, publication. It's a great, it's a great publication. Um, and I'm a big advocate for them. So I just wanted to point that out, but it's because Indiana is where I learned of rails to trails and I hiked many of them. Y'all, I did 22 miles one day, like by accident on the nickel plate trail. Um, I believe it was between, nope, not even going to try to do that and butcher the name, but it was North of Kokomo. Um, but I did 22 miles on the nickel plate trail because it was so smooth and so flat. And I walked forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, and realized, crap, I've hiked 11 miles. I've got to hike back to the car. It it's They're great trails. So anyway, I'm an advocate for Rails to Trails. And it's something, if you've never heard of it, you should look into it. And you can should consider maybe being a sponsor of them. Because it helps you get more trails built in your neck of the woods as well. Um, Indiana is full of rail trails. Indiana is 
damn near gridded with rail lines and old rail lines. It's the Midwest, y'all. It's up there. It's close to Detroit. It's close to Chicago. There's so much manufacturing. We're talking industrial revolution. You know, we're talking a lot of stuff going on and there are rail trails everywhere and there are some great trails to hike. Um, Indiana really is a story of, honestly, rail trails and state parks. Indiana has some killer state parks. You know, when I say I picked on Indiana, I was picking on Indiana in the sense of if I can find something to do in a place like Indiana that's nothing but cornfields, then I am functional proof that you can find something to do anywhere. But I was joking in a sense. If you draw that two to three mile, you know, hour circle around your location, like I mentioned in the Explore More episode, and you're in the center of Indiana, y'all, there's a whole lot of stuff to do and some really surprising state parks. Like I said, the majority of Indiana is cornfields. And then suddenly you come across this state park that was created in an ancient glaciation period. It's it's insane how beautiful the canyons are and how beautiful the hikes are and how much dramatic topographic change that there is. And Indiana is full of that. And we're going to talk about a lot of them tonight. We're going to start with some of the small ones that don't have enough meat on the bones to really spend a lot of time talking about. And we're going to work our way towards the beefier ones at the end. Um, Williamsport Falls is, I mean, this is a short one. Williamsport Falls is a 90-foot waterfall. It is the tallest waterfall in Indiana by all credible sources I can find. I saw one off comment somewhere where it was mentioned as the second tallest waterfall, but that was not by a reputable source. I could not cite their source, and everyone else in the world says it's the tallest one in in Indiana. It's a really, really neat waterfall, y'all. 90 feet tall, plunges between like this V that has eroded away in the limestone rock and it plunges out into the creek below it, but it's like a short hike. Like there's some elevation in it, but like you're, it's right in the middle of Williamsport, the town of Williamsport. You're not going back on a hike into the wilderness for this. You drive into Williamsport, which is a neat little town with some cool historical little buildings. And you kind of just right there off a pretty dang close to main street, find a place to park and you walk maybe a quarter of a mile down a little hill, a steep little hill And work your way in a bit of a scramble down to creek level and you're down at the falls. And they are beautiful falls. And when I was there, it was minus 16 degrees. And I got some really cool pictures of that. There are icicles all underneath the overhang of the waterfall. The water is quasi-frozen in places. Like, there's some really cool pictures. It was really cold. I experienced some of the coldest weather I've ever experienced in my life when I was working out of Kokomo. It was 16 degrees that day, minus 16 degrees that day. It was brutal. But if you want to see those pictures, go to waywardstories.com and go to our photo galleries. I have an entire gallery for that short few pictures I have of Williamsport Falls. Very, very neat place. Somewhere to check out in Indiana. A short hike, but great for photographic opportunities. It's a very picturesque waterfall. It's very, very neat. Um, there's some other places that like, if you get into history, like I am, I've mentioned, I'm a history nerd. You can go to Mound State Park. Mound State Park is near Anderson, Indiana. These mounds were built. These are Native American mounds. Um, and all of us are familiar to some degree or another, the many tens of thousands of earthworks around the United States. Um, Mound State Park, these mounds were built in 160 BCE by carbon dating. We're talking, you know, before current era. 
that's a long time ago. This was that they, they were built by what is believed to be the Adena culture, which predates the Hopewell culture, which predates like even the more recent Mississippian culture. This is this is old school. This is like source material stuff. This is like the genesis of a lot of this by a lot of accounts. It's very interesting. They're very neat. And even as far back as that pre-Columbian, you know, cross contamination, they were building these things and they were kind of like wood hinges and they were astronomically aligned. Like they were incredibly sophisticated, far more than I think American culture gives them credit for. And I'm glad to see that we're making much more of an attempt these days in history to give that credit where it's due. But um, it's fascinating stuff. And also the other thing about Mound State Park being in Anderson, Indiana, is there is a diner there called the Lemon Drop Diner. I think it's the Lemon Drop Drive-In. And they make maybe the single best hamburger I've ever had ever anywhere. They make some good food. I was turned on to it by locals. I got there and realized that um, any of you that are fans of football in America, the NFL, are going to know who Andrew Luck is and that he was the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. They have many pictures of old Lucky Charms chilling at the Dewdrop Diner, this little greasy spoon diner in Anderson, Indiana, in the middle of nowhere, having a burger. It's pretty cool. It's well-known locally. It's it's a neat little place with some really, really great food. Like I would send you to Anderson just for a hamburger there, just between you and me, honestly. Um, so that's a great place that you can check out in Indiana. What else has Indiana got? Okay. Indiana dunes. Let's talk about Indiana dunes. Indiana dunes was until like last year, the United States newest national park, but it's a very interesting kind of national park. Indiana dunes is, giant sand dunes on the eastern bank of Lake Michigan across from Chicago. I went up there on a really frigid day. What I figured out pretty fast about Indiana dunes is it's best enjoyed in the summer when you can swim and hang out on the sandy beaches with all the peoples. It's not best enjoyed in the dead of winter, which is when I was there. It was very neat to see Lake Michigan in that, um, in that kind of a setting with a frigid cold outside, it, it was very neat. It was still very cool. But Indiana Dunes is not the kind of national park that comes to mind when you think of national parks in the United States of America. Okay, when we think national parks, I think there's a, a mindset where the first images that come to mind are Yellowstone, Yosemite, the Grand Canyon, those kinds of things. Majestic, just absolutely gorgeous things that that inspire awe in you. Indiana Dunes is not that. And it's not a knock on Indiana Dunes, but it's not that. And there's no way around that. There are some really, really giant sand dunes that are pretty neat to check out. And watching them eat forests is also interesting in and of itself, especially if you're any kind of a science nerd at all. But it's Lake Michigan against sand dunes, and that is Indiana Dunes National Park. Um, what it seems to me, and I'm not against this, and this is just one man's opinion, and I'm not against this, but what it seems to me is it is a 
incredibly scientifically, ecologically diverse and unique place that needs to be protected because it has everything to do with the last ice age. It has everything to do with glaciers. It has everything to do with stuff that we need to preserve in order to better understand our own climate and what happened 12,000 years ago and how all of this stuff works together. But what it seems to me is they managed to get a state park into national park status um, to protect it from being developed into oblivion and losing all of that valuable, valuable information, ecological information that we need. The history of the ecology of the glacial periods. It's not Yosemite. It's not the Grand Canyon. And I'm not bagging on it. I'm just trying to tell you how it is. Um, So if you want to make a trip, if you're trying to get all the national parks under your belt or you're trying to line out trips, if you're going to go to Indiana Dunes, go in the summer so that you can enjoy the beach, so that you can enjoy the warm weather and, you know, do a lot of the hikes. There are some very neat hikes, some hikes through some marshes, through a lot of different ecological settings. Um, But it is not what comes to mind when you say American national parks. Um, it's a different kind of animal and far more interesting and more of a destination, I would think, for scientists than it is for the average lay person. But that's not by any means me telling you not to go. You should. And you can see Chicago right across Lake Michigan. That's a very neat look. I've got some pictures. You can see Chicago skyline in the background. Um, but just kind of no. I think it's fair to state what it is. It's just it seems to be. A nature preserve and not one that is visually absolutely stunning the way you might think when you hear the term national park applied to a place but it is a really cool place it is right there in indiana it is on lake michigan and it's a neat place to check out and if you do go up to see indiana dunes you might want to go ahead and just poke your toe right over the line into michigan just for a second Maybe you could mark Michigan off your list if that's what you want to do. But there's a place called St. Joseph just across the line, and they have a really neat lighthouse, a very, very cool lighthouse out on Lake Michigan. And when I was there, it was cold as hell. Once again, there were giant icicles hanging off of um, the railing that went out to the lighthouse and everything else from the, the lake crashing against it. Lake Michigan was angry that day kind of winter storm type of weather and got some really, really dramatic pictures of the lake trying to eat the um, jetty (laughs) that went out to the lighthouse and the lighthouse itself. It's really cool. It's a really, really cool place. And St. Joe itself, super neat little town. Got some cool little shops right downtown. Ton of history. Y'all, Indiana and Michigan are super, super old. Very, very interesting places. Super old, a lot of history, a lot of things to look at and check out, a lot of great photo opportunities. So if you go up to Indiana Dunes, you need to just pop your head on up the road a little ways and check in at St. Joe's. It's in Michigan, but it's real close to Indiana Dunes, and you can get some really cool pictures there. If you want to see the pictures I took that day, I do believe... Yeah, they have their own photo gallery at waywardstories.com, and you can probably go back back and see several of those on our Facebook page um, about a year and a half ago. But really, really cool places to check out. There's a lot of diversity when you're in Indiana. If you think about it, like you've got lots of verdant plains filled with corn. You have tons and tons of abandoned 
railroad history. You have tons and tons of agricultural history. If you're into barns, I know people that are into barns and love pictures of old barns. You want to see some amazing barns. Indiana is full of them. They are everywhere and they're ancient. We're talking 1800s era, early to mid 1800s. You can tell by the architecture and they are gorgeous. They are visually stunning to look at. I have a few pictures of those back on my Instagram account. That was from last year as well. But there's a lot to do up there. You got the plains to the Great Lakes. You can go to the cities in Chicago or Indianapolis or over to Detroit. And you can also go down into the state parks and get into hiking around in the state parks. Um, And that's what we're going to talk about next is probably the three best. Let's see. What do we got Four. We've got four state parks that we can talk about coming up. And we're going to do that after we take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. And we'll come right back to that and we'll get into the second half of this episode and talk about some of the best state parks that Indiana has to offer. We'll be right back. I want to take a second to tell you guys about tonight's sponsor, Survival Feeling. Survival Feeling is a hiking brand based in Greece, and they offer an assortment of gear that's aimed towards the goal of helping you better enjoy your time outside. And that is, of course, what we are all about here at Wayward Stories. I really like this company for a lot of reasons, but chief amongst them is that they were founded with giving back to the community in mind. They donate a portion of all proceeds to organizations like the Wildland Firefighters Foundation to help support those who work to keep us all safe while we're out there trying to find ourselves. We've partnered with them to bring you guys a unique coupon code that will save you wayward souls 15% off of your order. Go to survivalfeeling.com and use offer code waywardstories at checkout. I think you guys will like what they have to offer and what they're all about just as much as I do. Once again, that's survivalfeeling.com and use the offer code waywardstories. And we're back. Thank you guys for hanging around through that sponsor break. Let's get on to the rest of the show for tonight. First things first, let's talk about um, Cataract Falls. There's not a lot of meat on the bones for this one. Cataract Falls is uh, an area in southern Indiana, south of Indianapolis, and it's it's got a really beautiful waterfall. By volume, I believe it is Indiana's largest waterfall by volume of water. It's not the tallest. That is Williamsport. But by volume, I think it's the largest. And it's great photo opportunity. And there's a 2.6-kilometer trail that you can follow the creek down and go. There's an upper and a lower falls there at uh, Cataract Falls. Both of them offer some great opportunities for photography and also some great opportunities for fishing. And it'd be a really good place to take the family for like a day hike and a picnic. That's kind of exactly what Cataract Falls would play out to for me. Um, in my opinion, there's not a whole ton going on there to kind of keep you busy. Not a whole lot of meat on the bone, but for you photographers or you fishermen, and there's a nice little 2.6 kilometer hike, which is what maybe a mile and a half hike to take you down through there. It'd be a great place to take the family for a day, get a picnic in, get them out of the city, get them out in the woods, out in nature, stare at a giant waterfall, not as big as Williamport, but it is by volume the largest in Indiana. Um, the next one is real close to Cataract Falls. It's called McCormick's Creek State Park. McCormick's Creek 
it was the first state park in the state of Indiana. Once they established a state park system, McCormick's Creek was the very first one. There is over 10 miles of hiking at McCormick's Creek, and it, it varies from easy to moderate all the way to very, very rugged into what you would almost consider trekking. Um, I hiked a lot at McCormick's Creek. There's a really, really beautiful waterfall at the bottom of the valley in McCormick's Creek, and it takes a little bit of effort to get down there. There's a lot of elevation change to get down to it and hike up the creek to it. You're probably going to get your feet wet, most likely, and mind the snakes. I remember very clearly watching um, a little boy and his mom as I was working my way up this side of the creek towards the falls. There's a little boy and his mom, and the little boy started tweaking out because there was a snake real close to him. And it was in between he and his mother. It was probably 10 or 15 feet. And she was doing the whole, you know, be calm. It's okay. It's just a snake. He's not going to hurt you. It's okay, baby. And then the snake turned and went straight towards her and she lost it. It was really ironic to watch her being so very calm when he was the one under the threat. And as soon as that snake turned his nose towards her, she lost it and got out of the water very fast and fell down a couple of times in the process of doing it. She absolutely panicked. She did exactly the wrong thing. And I found it very, very humorous. Um, that might be kind of gallows humor on my part, but I am kind of dark like that sometimes. I found it funny. Um, but it's a great state park. McCormick's Creek, you have fishing, you have camping, you can do equestrian. If you're into riding horses, we talked about this a lot back in the episode about St. Louis. There's a lot of equestrian trails up in the Midwest, and Indiana is no different. They have equestrian trails. They have some great camping. Um, and like I said, 10 miles of hiking, there's plenty to keep you busy at McCormick's Creek, keep you and your family busy for an entire weekend. Super, super neat place, really beautiful waterfall, some great, great photo photographic opportunities. Um, can't even begin to tell you where you could go find the pictures I took at McCormick's Creek. I believe that's going to be from a time frame that probably puts it on the Wayward Stories Facebook page. It's a beautiful little waterfall. It's short. It's like a cascade, but it's very picturesque. It's great for taking pictures of. Um, the next state park we're going to talk about, y'all, there's, there's a lot of state parks in Indiana, and they're all really impressive. I'm not even going to touch on all of them tonight. I'm not going to be able to touch on all of them tonight. Um, for one reason, I didn't go to all of them. But also just there's so many we couldn't do it all in one episode. So I'm like hitting the high points of the places that I went while I was in the state. And y'all, I was there for a while. I was there like the better part of six months. I got stuck in Kokomo in a hotel room because of COVID last year for six weeks. That was not fun. That was not fun. I was very fortunate, though through COVID that I had a job that was considered essential and my job was delivering packages. So I got to be out and about while the rest of the world sat at home and I was, it wasn't lost on me. I was very appreciative of that. I was very appreciative that I got to keep my job and that I got to get out, but not having the ability to come home to my daughter or anything like that. And just to a cold hotel room for Six weeks. That was a rough time. It was a long time to be in one state that has a lot of cornfields. But as I said, I ferreted out all the good places to go as best I could. And we're talking about all of those high points. That's what we're hitting on tonight. Spring Mill State Park 
we've got some literature on these because I want to give them these last three are the ones with the most meat on the bones. And I want to give you guys really good understanding of what's going on at these parks. So I printed out some material so I can talk to you about them because I think they're some of the most impressive and the most interesting for multiple reasons that might get you in in the mindset to maybe take a trip to Indiana someday. Um, especially if you're a biker, if you are not necessarily a mountain biker, but just even a road biker, if you're into that, Indiana has hundreds and hundreds of miles of rail trails that are perfect for riding a bicycle on. And it's honestly just a pretty dang neat little state to check out. And, and I found in Indianapolis, some of the friendliest people of all the cities I've ever spent and a significant amount of time in working, I found the people in Indianapolis to be some of the nicest by far the most amenable. It was, um, I really enjoyed being around those folks up there. Indiana is a pretty neat state. Um, but Spring Mill State Park is next on our list. Spring Mill State Park. This is from, I believe the Indiana State Parks website is where I printed this from. Spring Mill State Park offers a power, powerful illustration of the link between the natural and cultural worlds. The water flowing from several cave springs led to the founding of an industrial village in the early 1800s. Pioneer entrepreneurs took advantage of a constant water source that never froze, using it to power several grist mills, a wool mill, a sawmill, and a distillery. In turn, the, part, the pioneer settlers shaped the landscape around the village, clearing land for agriculture and timber. The park today continues to illustrate how nature shapes us and how we shape our environment. A parcel of virgin timber sits in contrast to a regenerated forest, a man-made lake struggles to survive against the inflow of silt from a cave-fed system, and the native flora and fauna face challenges from man's introductions of new species. Visitors can explore this story in the park's four interpretive facilities, the Pioneer Village, the Nature Center, Grissom Memorial, and Twin Caves Boat Tour, and see it reflected on the landscape as they hike the trails. The interpretive staff also offers a wide variety of public programs, including an extensive special event schedule. Public programs are offered year-round, and program schedules are included. There are caves and Spring Mill State Park. Selected caves at Spring Mill State Park and Cave River Valley Natural Area are open for limited access for self-guided recreational tours. This program is a partnership with the Indiana Karst Conservancy. Groups must register in advance through the IKC and must complete online training explaining decontamination procedures established to prevent the spread of white nose syndrome, a fungus that is killing bats in vast numbers. This is we talked about white nose syndrome. This is interesting. A lot of you guys might kind of recoil at that, like you have to do some training and pass it, that you know how to decontaminate. But what I find awesome about this is that they're still letting you go in the caves as long as you show them that you can be responsible and know how to decontaminate. Here in Arkansas, you can't even go in the caves. They're just chained up, man. They've just got gates on them and padlocks. You can't even go in. So I find this as, I think this is a really good, answer to a problem here we just don't have access and that aggravates people to no end they kind of have a little bit of a compromise here you know what we'll let you go in but you have to show us that you'll be responsible and try to help limit this issue like it's a big deal when we lose entire species of animals guys like get off your political side of the fence it doesn't matter we're not talking about climate change here we're not talking about anything like that we're talking about something that is proven and everyone can agree on for a fact like outside of political alignments 
We as humans have an impact on the natural world, and it is adverse in many situations. And when you kill entire species, that's a problem. If we kill all the bats, it will affect you directly. You know how? You already know how. You're going to be eaten alive with mosquitoes and biting flies and gnats and all the things that drive you wild. Bats are integral in far more scientific ways than that, but I'm speaking on terms that actually affect you in your daily life. You want bats around. We don't want to kill them all. Anyway, that's just functional, practical knowledge. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Bats are a good thing, and they're dying in droves from this weird syndrome, and we track it in and out of the caves when we go, if we're not careful. I like this solution to a problem. Anyway, moving on from that. There in Spring Mill State Park, I mentioned the Pioneer Village. It is open daily from May through mid-October, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. It is restored, originally founded in 1814, you heard that right, over 200 years ago, and contains 20 historic buildings to explore. The centerpiece is a three-story limestone gristmill built in 1817 that still grinds cornmeal today. Heritage interpreters portray the year 1863 and demonstrate period crafts. The village is very cool. I went there out of season. I did not get to have interpreters tell me all about it, but you can walk all through the village. You can go. Some of the buildings were unlocked. I was able to explore some of the buildings while I was there, even though it was technically closed. It's fascinating, guys. I wanted to go back. And hopefully I don't end up in Indiana working again, but I wanted to go back when the Pioneer Village interpretive um, programs were open because I wanted to see the inside of the grist mill, etc. But it's fascinating. The rock work, the stone work, there's a giant aqueduct that comes down from one of the springs and feeds the grist mill that was built over 200 years ago by hand, by stonemasons, laborers. It's fascinating and great photography. If you're into photography, guys, this is a awesome place to go because not only do you have all of these awesome structures to check out while you're there and take pictures of, you've got this creek coming out of caves in multiple locations. There are multiple caves with the water coming out at volume, and it is amazing for long exposure photography. If you're into long exposure photography, you're going to get shots. You have so many opportunities at amazing shots set not only in this 200-year-old industrial setting, but just beyond it, completely natural setting coming out of these caves. Absolutely beautiful. Have a lot of those pictures on the website. They're under our photo galleries as well. That was a great day that I was there for long exposure. It was overcast. I was still learning the art. I had, you know, inferior equipment and I still got some pretty good pictures out of that day. Um, and you can get a really good idea of what some of the things at Spring Mill State Park look like if you go check out waywardstories.com in the photo galleries. And also you can go check them out, I believe, on the Facebook page if you scroll back far enough. Um, Spring Mill has got several hiking trails. What do we have here? We've got at least a grand total of seven hiking trails. There's an old stagecoach trail. Um, there's two mountain bike trails. No, no, there's one mountain bike trail with two miles that you can traverse it. Um, Spring Mill is a big, big park. There's the Spring Mill Lake. There's a lot of things going on in Spring Mill. There's a whole lot of hiking. One of these trails, I don't have the mileage on it in front of me, 
very, very long trail. You go up through that old growth timber, the virgin timber, which is really interesting to see really, really ancient stands of timber. If you think of like redwood trees in California, um, you're starting to get the idea. You're looking at really large trees. Now, these aren't that big. Nothing's as big as the redwoods and the sequoias, but it's a generally the same kind of a feel. And Spring Mill has some of that. Um, there's just a lot there. There's some great camping. There's some great fishing. There's a lot of hiking. And there's some absolutely awesome photographic opportunities in Spring Mill State Park. Something I actually may someday might be something I would go back and do again. Just stand alone. If I ever took a trip through the upper Midwest again, I would love to go back, especially when the interpretive centers open um, during the summer months. It's a really, really neat state park. Absolutely love Spring Mill. We're going to move on now to one called Clifty Falls State Park, which is also very interesting. This is in the more southeast extreme corner of the state, right across the line. Our new states, I believe Ohio is one of them. Yes, I believe it's Ohio. Um, Clifty Falls, it is topographically significantly dramatic. It is very, very beautiful. And we're actually going to read about it here. Um, I printed out a little bit of information on it as well. So you can get an idea of what's going on there. And then we're going to talk about the hiking trails. And I hope you guys are staying with me because these hiking trails, this one's got an extreme hiking trail. It is legitimately rugged and it kicked my tail one day. Um, but we're going to talk about it. Clifty Falls and the nearby Ohio River are products of the Ice Age. The Ohio River is a trench cut by sand and gravel laden meltwaters of the glacial ice mass and basically marks the southernmost advance of the glaciers which came from the north. Clifty Falls and its canyon are a subsequent erosion feature. From the lip of Clifty Falls at an elevation near the general level of the county, Clifty Creek plunges down more than 70 feet in nearly three miles of canyon, the creek descends another 250 feet to the Ohio River below. There are four major waterfalls and numerous minor ones in the park. The 425 million old hills and limestone of the park are among the oldest bedrock exposures in the state of Indiana. They are some 100 million years older than the sandstone and shells of the south-central Knobs region and nearly 150 million years older than the coal-bearing deposits of southwestern Indiana. An abundance of fossil remains and ancient marine life are interred in the formations of the rock. In 1853, Madison and Indianapolis Railroad Company began work on a railway which was to have run west from Madison then up Clifty Creek Canyon and Dean's Branch to connect with the main line about one mile north of Madison. Two tunnels were planned for the four and three quarter mile long line. The lower tunnel was barely started and excavation of the upper tunnel which traverses the cliff just south of the tunnel falls was in progress when financial problems made it necessary to suspend operations. Portion of the park's hiking trail follow the original grade and several piers and trestle abutments may still be seen. This part of the hike in Clifty Falls is super neat because you can hike into and you're going to have to do a little bit of crawling. I did it. But you can hike into one of those two railroad tunnels and come out the other side. You can either hike around it on the trail that's established outside of it or you can go through it. And I chose to go through it. And it was interesting. And you do have to spend some time crawling on your knees. But it's worth the trip through. It was very, very cool. Um, the hike itself, like 
guys, we're talking some serious elevation gains here. Um, and unfortunately, unlike me, I didn't go in and write down the actual elevation change in totality, but I can tell you this trail eight is considered rugged and trail eight is more than rugged in my opinion and is a scramble in many places and it is four and a half miles of rugged it kicked my tail that was starting out at i believe the let's see i've got this the count the map right here yeah it's essentially the north gate parking trail eight trailhead is the north gate parking area and you hike down and you have to hike so a couple of miles before you even get to descend down into the valley to the creek, you go right above Little Clifty Falls, you go below Big Clifty Falls, and you can walk your way all the way back up the creek, which is considered very rugged, and it's three miles. It's trail two, three miles, very rugged. It is a scramble. You're in the creek bed, going all the way back up to Clifty Falls to try to get your photographic opportunities there. It's worth the hike. But it's a lot of work, and I was there in the summer when I went to Clifty Falls, and you better bring some drinking water. It will work your tail smooth off of your body. It was a brutal, brutal day out there. I hiked a grand total that day. I ended up hiking by my GPS, as I recall it, was just over 11 miles. I was somewhere between 11 and 12 miles of rugged hiking, and it was brutal. It was brutal, but it was awesome. It is gorgeous. It is very remote. The canyons are steep. They're extreme. There are waterfalls everywhere. The big waterfalls like Clifty Falls, Little Clifty Falls, and Tunnel Falls are all amazing waterfalls. Tunnel Falls is actually the tallest of all the waterfalls there, and it clocks in at an 83-foot drop. It is an absolutely gorgeous place to get in and hike and do photography. And this is the kind of hiking that's going to work you. This is good exercise hiking. This isn't an easy day hike. It's not going to be ADA accessible. There's only one trail in this park that's ADA accessible. The rest of them are extreme. But for the work that you put in and the effort that you put into it, you are going to get some glorious views of multiple waterfalls and get to hike through an old railroad tunnel that is partially collapsed. Um, yeah, I say hike hike slash crawl we'll call it a scramble through a railroad tunnel you've got four big waterfalls clocking in at 60 feet 60 feet 78 feet and 83 feet it is a great hike it is a challenge and the two main things you're going to be doing in this park are hiking and photography it's the main two things you can camp there you could have a weekend with the family there absolutely but this one right here its character in my opinion is that of some really, really challenging hiking to get to some really, really big payoffs for photographs for your Instagram feed. That's my take on Clifty Falls State Park. So, so we're going to get on to our last state park of the night that I want to talk about. Turkey Run State Park. It goes hand in hand with another state park known as Shades. A lot of times you'll hear it said Turkey Run and Shades State Park. I did not go on up into Shades. They have very similar things about them, but they are uniquely different. I did not go to Shades. I've only been to Turkey Run, but I went to Turkey Run like three times. Really digging Turkey Run. So we saved it for last because I have several, um, several things in Turkey Run that I want to talk about. 
first and foremost, let's get all the, the basic stuff out of the way. Turkey Run's got all the stuff that everything else has, and then some. You've got camping. Um, you've got hiking. You've got fishing, great fishing. You've got kayaks, canoes, inner tubes. You can just lay in the river that you have to cross. There's everything that you can get in any other state park. They have all of it. Also, they have bald eagles there got a picture of a bald eagle there but it's a very neat place to have everything that everywhere else has that you can do anywhere else so we're going to talk about specifically the hiking trails tonight and that's how we're wrapping up tonight's episode because they've got some killer hiking trails i saw multiple places calling the trails at turkey run some of the best trails in the midwest not just the state of indiana not just southern indiana the entire Midwest. And though I haven't hiked all the trails in the Midwest, I would tend to probably say they, I, they probably have a reason for saying that they Turkey run impressed me to no end. Um, there's a little bit of local folklore about how the name came to be that huge roosts of turkeys would hang out in the hollows because they were cooler than everywhere else. And early hunters, even back into early native Americans would use those natural canyons and run the turkeys to an easier place to harvest them, so to speak, thus Turkey run, but there's no way to prove that. Um, and it's just some of the local lore and it probably is accurate. Like it sounds like something people would do and it's probably accurate, but there is no factual proof of it. Turkey run Good grief, y'all. There's so much cool stuff going on at Turkey Run that it's not only on the National Register of Historic Places, it is also designated as a national natural landmark when it comes to one specific area of Turkey Run State Park, which is known as the Rocky Hollow and Falls Canyon Nature Preserve. This is one of the reasons we want to talk about Turkey Run State Park tonight. It is owned by state parks, um, Indiana State Parks. It is in Park County, Indiana. Its size is 1,609 acres. This preserve lies on the north side of Sugar Creek in Turkey Run State Park. The preserve is marked on the map available at the entrance gate or the park office. There are several park trails within the preserve. Here is the description. This part of Turkey Run contains narrow canyons flanked by high walls of Mansfield sandstone to which ferns, hydrangeas, and native hemlock trees cling and shade out all but the noonday sun. Miniature waterfalls spill over the rocks at the head of these gorges. The forested upland is covered by old-growth mesophytic forest, an intermediate type between beech maple of moisture conditions and oak history of drier areas. The terraces along Sugar Creek are covered with old growth floodplain forest. Old fields in the various stages of succession are found on the flattest portions of the uplands, and a portion of this preserve has also been designated as a national natural landmark. Rocky Hollow is amazing. The hike through Rocky Hollow is absolutely beautiful, and you feel like you step into a different planet, y'all. I'm going to read this info to you from the sign in Rocky Hollow. The only place I can find it, this is not online. I had to go back to a picture I took and print out the picture to have this information from within the park, and this is park signage. First, let me just tell you about Rocky Hollow, and then I will read this, and it'll make more sense. When I first stepped foot into Rocky Hollow, you feel like you are stepping into a movie set. 
or a fictional place, a fantasy of your mind while you're reading a book, somewhere that's being described to you. You feel like you're stepping into almost a rainforest type of setting, and yet you're in Indiana. This is totally different than all of the surrounding areas. It's totally different than everything in the rest of the state. Hiking through this hollow, it was absolutely beautiful. It was temperate in a way that's not going on in the rest of the park or even the rest of the state. There was actually steam rising. It felt like a rainforest. It felt like a jungle type of setting. Has steep-sided ravines. You hike through the creek, a good portion of these hikes, anywhere in in Turkey Run, but especially here in Rocky Hollow, the trail is the bedrock of the creek bed. There are a few steps cut around straight, you know, places that would be hard to access, but not a lot. There are some beautiful pictures that I got within Turkey Run State Park. I think you can find them at the website. Um, definitely find them on the Facebook page going back far enough to last year. It's y'all. It's worth a drive to Indiana from wherever you are in the United States, in my opinion. To not just explore Turkey Run, but specifically go through Rocky Hollow. It feels like you're stepping into a different place and a different time. And the reason it feels that way, it's funny. If you go back on the YouTube far enough and you find on youtube.com forward slash way of stories, you find my Rocky Hollow when I was there. You can go see, you can go see video of this on our YouTube. At the end of the hike, I mentioned like, I'm, I I just sit here and talk through this whole hike, how this feels like a different world in a different place. And then I look at the camera and I'm like, that's because it is because I just found this sign. And this is what this sign says. I'm going to read it to you now. Welcome to the Rocky Hollow Nature Preserve, saving a piece of the past for the future. Do you feel the temperature dropping? You're about to enter prehistoric Indiana. During that time, the climate was cooler and without dramatic seasonal temperature changes. Forests were dominated by hemlocks and other conifers. The glaciers retreated 20,000 years ago, leaving a barren landscape. Pioneer vegetation blanketed the newly exposed bedrock. Tundra turned to forests of spruce, hemlock, and other evergreens. In Rocky Hollow, the clock stopped about 12,000 years ago. The canyon has kept the temperature and moisture conditions similar to that long ago time. While the surrounding landscape continues to change, Rocky Hollow remembers the dark evergreen forest and mastodons. So, Rocky Hollow is a place out of time. It is a time capsule to about 12,000 years ago. And it fills every bit of it when you go into it. It's one of those things that's ineffable. It's one of those things that there are not words to fully describe. You must experience it for yourself with your own eyes, with your own five senses and be in it to understand that it feels like a special place. You know, you're somewhere different and the photographic opportunities within it are amazing. They are, they, they range from contrasting from the inside of the valley to the old growth forest above it to long exposure shots for the water that runs through and a lot of the trails you walk on. Inside of Turkey Run State Park as a whole on all the trails, there are some amazing geologic features. There are ladders that you have to climb. They're really cool ladders on several places on several of the hikes. Um, 
there's a place called the Punch Bowl where a glacial erratic, which is basically a big chunk of bedrock from somewhere in Canada that was pushed down here during the Ice Age, got hung up and ran around in circles in a hole um, as water flowed through over time and created like this perfect little shaped what they call a punch bowl. Turkey Run State Park hiking is some of the best hiking I've ever seen or done anywhere across the United States. Like, not barring none, there are other places, but it's not a competition, but I'm just trying to gauge it for you and give you an idea. That was one of my favorite places to hike and experience and take pictures that I've ever been to in all of my travels from San Francisco and Big Sur and Yosemite all the way across the country to everywhere else I've ever been through the Rockies and the Appalachians. It's a neat, neat place. It is a special place. One that I do not have all the proper words for, but somewhere that you should check out. It's an absolute gem in and of itself. Turkey Run State Park and its trail systems are so much fun. They're also really hard to describe. Like even the state doesn't do a good job of it. I had a hard time trying to discern and flesh out what trail is what trail because some of them interconnect and it's not real well designated. They weren't all numbers. If they would just gave them names, it probably would have been a whole lot easier to follow. But I digress. That's neither here nor there. It's somewhere you need to check out. But yeah, guys, it's Indiana is filled with some beautiful state parks. You do have to drive through countless miles of cornfields to get to them. But when you get to them, the payoff is worth it. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, I got some great pictures of multiple things guys not just state parks not just long exposure of waterfalls or historic structures but i mean abandoned rail lines like the sun setting across cornfields there's so many things in indiana it is a interesting and diverse place a lot of like i said a lot of farm history goes on there some amazing barns some amazing farm equipment I mean, you haven't seen anything until you've seen like a 140-year-old steam-powered tractor. Y'all, like, you just, it, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating place up there. And somewhere that I suggest everyone go check out. I think you should all go and hang out in Indianapolis and get to know a lot of the people there. Heck, I didn't even talk about Terre Haute. You can do, I've still got a real good friend over in Terre Haute. You can do a lot of cool stuff over there. There's a state park over there. There's like a living a living interpretive farm over there. There's where the Battle of Tippy Canoe happened. There's a lot of stuff in Terre Haute. Terre Haute's beautiful. Terre Haute's a really cool little town. Um, didn't even mention them tonight. I didn't spend a whole lot of time over there and probably why it fell by the wayside um, in tonight's outline. But regardless, Indiana's a neat place, y'all. A lot of cool stuff you can check out in Indiana. And I felt like it was time. To make things right. I've picked on Indiana for some time now. Just for giggles. Just because I wanted to. But it was all in good nature. I hope y'all know that. Because I spent the better part of a half a year of my life in your state. And um, y'all were pretty good to me. So it was all in good fun. It was all in good nature. And I hope we made it right tonight. And made you guys sound as good as you deserve to sound. Because you do have some amazing outdoor activities and places and things to see and go and do for people to come and check you guys out and hopefully get a burger at the old lemon drop drive-in because y'all got some good food up there too but anyway that's all i've got for tonight tonight was a long episode 
apologize for that, but you know what? It is what it is, and we got to get down to editing it here. Um, so we're going to wrap this up and prepare for, start preparing for the spooky season. It's coming, y'all. I'm excited about it. I've got some great things lined up to talk about. I just mm, can't wait. I can't wait for spooky season, and it's almost here. Y'all look out. If things play out the way I think they're going to play out, with as much content as I've come across, as I've done my research, we may have an episode every single week through Halloween. That's five episodes. We may have five back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back episodes. So, y'all be looking forward to that. Until next time, I want to thank you guys for checking us out, coming in and listening. Please, if you have stories you want to share with us, submit them to mywaywardstory at gmail.com. Go to the website, waywardstories.com. Dot com. If you want to check out our Instagram, um, our Facebook pages, our blogs, our pictures, anything you want to do. If you want to go support us on Patreon, do that all at the website. Um, and please rate, review, and subscribe. Guys, that goes so far. If you will just take the time, even if you don't have time to write a review, if you'll just click that four or five star rating and submit it, that helps a lot. It helps bump us up and get us out there in the world. And please tell your friends. Word of mouth is a huge deal. Again, appreciate you guys for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next time around. And until then, y'all be good to each other. We here at Studio 119 would like to remind all of you out there listening, wherever you might be, Though the hill might be steep, and the trail be rocky, the mountaintop awaits.